0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 a.m. News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello, and welcome into
1: the Jeff Andreas Show here on Friday. It is November the 15th, and as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Feeling pretty good here today on Friday with one exception. I played hockey for the first time in like over a month this past Wednesday and two days later my legs are still a bit sore so I think it means it's time to either start playing more regularly or uh, find a better way to recover or maybe I should actually start going to the gym that's something that uh, you know has always been on my mind as something to think about doing I'll tell you what I just have no motivation to ever actually go about doing that so uh, maybe I can look ahead to 2020 New Year's resolutions maybe it's uh, time to start thinking about that a uh, good show lined up here today in the back half of today's program. I will be joined by the Capital Projects Manager here in Kamloof, Mr. Darren Cronwell. A number of questions to ask him, including progress on Victoria Street West. I hear uh, the Todd Road Project at Barthard Vale is also complete, so we'll ask about what's going on there. And uh, also Valley View Drive, uh, there was some work going on there over the course of this fall. So we'll talk about all of that in about 25 minutes' time. To end off today's show, I will be joined by the executive director of the Kamloops Food Bank, Bernadette Cerecki. who will join me to talk about what the situation looks like here in the city when it comes to food bank use. It follows a conversation that I had yesterday with the executive director of BC Food Banks as we took a brief look at sort of what the stats are around the province as a whole. More than 80,000 individuals are accessing food banks each month here in British Columbia and that equals more than 120,000 total visits. So a lot of people going once a month, but a lot of people are also having to go more than once a month. So obviously, it's, uh, it's a bit of a difficult situation to deal with. How do we go about making sure less and less people are accessing food banks? Of course, you want to get that number to zero. Uh, when will that happen? Well, it's, uh, it's probably a long way into the future. There are a number of solutions that were released in the Hunger Count 2019 report by the National Food Bank uh, Association here earlier this month. Uh, So we'll talk about some of those potential solutions, if those are actually going to have any impact here in British Columbia. And, of course, uh, localize it even further with Bernadette and talk about right here in Kamloops. Of course, one in three people visiting a food bank each month is a child. Um, So we'll ask if that's the same situation here in Kamloops. And obviously, hopefully it's not, but uh, that is the provincial trend. and So I'm sure uh, it'll be pretty close to the same situation here in the city uh, and in the Kamloops area, of course, because the Kamloops Food Bank does deal with more than just the city itself. Uh, in a short time from now, I'll be joined by the president of the BC School Trustees Association. Stephanie Higginson was on my show a few weeks ago. Uh, late in October, the BC STA passed a motion on vaping asking the federal government to step up to the plate when it comes to youth vaping. At the time, Higginson said that trustees want to focus on the education aspect. She said, quote, there does seem to be a gap in legislation around the way that these products are being advertised, so people would like to start with the, um, let's not advertise them in a way that's so appealing to youth so that we cannot necessarily need all the potential changes. So that was sort of the message from the BCSTA a few weeks ago, and of course yesterday, BC Health Minister Adrian Dix announced some new regulations that will be being tabled um, in the province here to try and help tackle that exact problem. So the ministries of health, finance and education all say that these new uh, regulations would include restricting vapor product access, flavors, nicotine content and packaging and advertising on vaping products, especially those. That target youth. In a short number of years, vaping has shifted from being a smoking cessation tool for adults to an addiction trap for our youth. That's what uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix said yesterday. He says large vaping manufacturers have used flavors and advertising to introduce a new generation of young people to very high levels of a very addictive drug, nicotine. He says the province is bringing forward the most comprehensive plan in the country to try and help young people end a dangerous trend regulations will restrict the amount of nicotine in vapor pods and liquid to 20 milligrams per milliliter. It will also require plain packaging, which includes health warnings, while also restricting the advertising of vaping products in areas frequented by young people like bus shelters and community parks. Uh, Dick says that flavored vaping products will only be sold in adult stores here in B.C.
2: First, we're restricting the flavors available, prohibiting the sale of flavors that appeal to youth. Second, adult vaping stores will be allowed to sell additional flavor, with the exception of those that attract youth. A third action, which is implementing plain packages that include health warnings and nicotine levels on all vaping products.
1: Dix also says that nicotine will be regulated as a health hazard.
2: This will allow us to bring in regulations to restrict the amount of nicotine in vapor pods and liquids. 20 milligrams per milliliter. This is similar to what is in place in the United Kingdom and the European Union, which makes them similar to the content of a package of 20 cigarettes.
1: Yeah, so Diggs is saying that, you know, more does still need to be done by Ottawa and he says, "quote I encourage the federal government to bring in national regulations that address vapor product wholesalers. Until they do though, there will be a black market of non-compliant vapor products from other jurisdictions that can make their way into our province, our schools, and the lungs of our young people. The restrictions on vaping are expected to come into force on April 1st. 2020 so april one of next year and that will be following some stakeholder engagement as well Uh, so hopefully that those new regulations do pass this is something that camlip south mla todd stone has been very outspoken on he's been constantly uh, on the issue of vaping for some time trying to see some changes made and some restrictions put in place to help our youth uh, you know not be exposed to these types of products he says quote the government's plan includes just about everything that he has been calling for over the past seven months I asked for tougher enforcement, tougher penalties for non-compliance. Uh, it would appear that that's in their plan. I asked for a ban on
2: flavored vaping products. They did not go to the full extent of eliminating all flavoring, but they are imposing some pretty tough restrictions. I think it's a good first step, and we'll monitor it to make sure that it has the intended impact.
1: Of course, uh, this will also bring about changes in how some of these products are taxed. B.C. Finance Minister Carol James was a part of yesterday's announcement. Uh, She says that she will be introducing new legislation uh, to that effect in terms of raising the taxes on vaping products, and that will come into effect later this month. If
3: this legislation is passed, British Columbia would become the first province in Canada to apply a specific tax rate to vaping products. Also, through this legislation, we are going to increase the tobacco tax rate on cigarettes and
4: loose tobacco by two cents.
1: So, with all of that set to be introduced in the not-too-distant future, this begins to address some concerns that people have been raising when it comes to youth vaping and trying to help deter our young people from using and accessing these products is it enough well we have already seen adrian dix make the call that more work needs to be done at that federal level but of course it is a start here Provincially, is that uh, enough work? You know, from a from an educational standpoint, we saw the uh, the Ministry of Education was a part of yesterday's announcement, but didn't uh, didn't have too much to say. Um, you know, I, I do have the president of the B.C. School Trustees Association coming up after the break, so she'll give us a bit of a rundown on sort of how those people are feeling from an educational standpoint. Are educational leaders happy with the steps that have been taken yesterday? And uh, you know, I I think it's safe to assume that this is likely to pass, and and with these regulations will come into effect on April 1st. 2020, as is scheduled at this point in time. But even that being said, do these do these steps go far enough? And will it actually make a difference in the in the um, the amount of youth that are taking up the habit of vaping? Uh, it's basically just become the new smoking, right? You don't really see as many people smoking outside anymore, but they are vaping. Is that uh, is that less dangerous? I mean, that's the, I guess the whole argument from the vaping standpoint is they believe it is a a less dangerous substance to be using. It doesn't have the exact same effects as cigarettes do. But of course, you hear the uh, the people, a lot of people out there saying that we don't know what exactly the, the uh, extent of vaping does to our bodies. And, and it's important that we have more of a knowledge on what the actual effects are before we can go about, um, you know, saying that they are a, a safer alternative. Um, as was mentioned by Adrian Dix yesterday, uh, vaping was meant to be a smoking cessation tool, and it seems to have sort of shifted in just to a completely different habit. Instead of uh, instead of helping people quit smoking, it's just uh, an alternative to smoking, and and a lot of people are taking it up as just a completely separate habit. So definitely something to pay attention to here moving forward. Will these new regulations actually do anything to help deter people from picking up the habit of vaping? Of course, I also had Mario Kinseco on my show yesterday. He's the president of Research Co. and and he did a, a survey talking about vaping, specifically asking people uh, across the country a number of questions. Uh, One of the questions was uh, if you were to date someone who vapes, I mean, how likely would you be to do so? Well, 50% of total respondents say that they wouldn't even consider dating someone who uses vaping products, and here in British Columbia, that number rose even further to 54%. So definitely one more thing to think about uh, when you are in fact considering vaping and picking up that habit. But That's a whole nother subject. I'm going to be talking with the president of the BC Teacher or School Trustees Association after the break on vaping and find out if these provincial regulations do, in fact, go far enough. So I'll be having more on that after this. So stick around.
0: Radio NL, NL radioNL.com, local news now. Listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 6, 10 a.m. News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Welcome back in here on this TGI Friday, November 15th edition of the Jeff Andreas Show. Thanks to you all for tuning in and hope you're all ready for a lovely weekend ahead. Yesterday, the province announced new regulations that it will be proposing to be implemented by the upcoming spring. Among the changes are restrictions on flavored vaping pods and a 20% increase in increase in taxes to vaping products of course those in the school system have been calling for tougher restrictions on vaping products for some time now particularly in the wake of these uh, lung disease cases that have popped up as a result in the in recent memory i'm joined on the phone now by the president of the bc school trustees association stephanie higginson stephanie thanks so much for coming back on the program
3: Hi, Jeff. Thanks
1: for having me back. So it's uh, been about three weeks, I believe, since I had you on last. So I'll start by asking, uh, the BCSTA had put out the call for more restrictions to be put in place by our senior governments. I know you're still looking to see more done at the federal level, but uh, you know, obviously happy to see some action being taken here at the provincial level. Were you surprised to see action taken? Uh, It feels like it's been rather quick.
3: I was pleasantly surprised at the action. I mean, obviously this shows that, that when, when we started that round of media a couple of weeks ago, the, the, minister, the health minister did say that they were working on, on this issue and that there would be an announcement soon. And, you know, an announcement that's this comprehensive, uh, we are really, really pleased with the announcement yesterday.
1: So I guess uh, the biggest thing was likely the restriction on flavor pods, I think, in my opinion, when we're talking about youth vaping and trying to deter youth from picking up these products. um, Was that the the biggest takeaway that you saw? And just in terms of youth specifically and targeting youth, obviously flavors is one of the big things that is always talked about is that's what's attracting a lot of people into starting to pick up these habits. Um, Was that one particular area that youth saw that maybe is having potentially having the biggest impact? Or was there more to this announcement that you looked at and said, yes, that is going to really help prevent people from picking up this? Habit.
3: Well, I think it was one of the things that, you know, I think will definitely help uh, address the issues with youth. But, you know, one of the other, the other things that we were asking for was uh, youth, age-appropriate, youth-focused um, resources on the health implications and on vape cessation, specifically targeted to youth and around vaping. And so we were so happy to also see this uh, youth advisory panel and a real focus and commitment on using youth to help create um, resources on the health implications of this and also that they are going to expand the quit now program not only to be for adults and vaping but also have a youth focus on vaping as well
1: do you have any idea what that would look like at this point in time I when we're talking about basically a youth-led program when you're talking about a youth advisory committee um but in terms of this quit now program um you know do do you have any idea sort of what that would look like in terms of how it would target youth
3: You know, I don't know. I'm not an expert in that area, Mm -hmm. and I really look forward to them uh, rolling it out quickly because I think youth are starting to become very aware of the fact that this is not good for their health uh, you know it was always been it's been presented as a safe alternative a healthy alternative to maybe not healthy but a safe alternative to smoking and I think they're now starting to realize some of them that they are addicted to nicotine and that they do need to quit and so I'm glad that they're going to be focusing in that area for youth.
1: yeah you say uh, maybe not healthier but I do think that word is thrown around around a little bit that it is at least healthier than smoking yeah. right so you say safer some say healthier I guess it depends on how a uh, uh, verbiage you want to use but it is definitely a out there that people some them do believe it is a healthier and safer product um so i just want to ask to kind of doubling back to that last question um you know you talked about a youth advisory committee being a part of this and, and sort of helping to lead the way on youth education i guess how important is it to have the youth involved in this process because obviously this is something that is affecting youth directly so it's probably really crucial to have the youth being the ones who are actually helping have input on these changes
3: Absolutely. I think that youth are the best advisors to help us address this issue and they will be uh, well utilized. And I think it's also a great education opportunity for youth to be involved at this level and help us uh, serve the youth that we're trying to, to help with, make them aware of the health implications.
1: Uh, what what steps do you think um, you know? Is there anything that you look at in particular and say uh, you know this wasn't announced in in yesterday's changes? Uh, you know, th- th- is there anything specifically that you are hoping to see that that hasn't been uh, you know put in place yet or hasn't been announced as something that might be coming into effect?
3: You know, I don't want to downplay the announcement from yesterday because it is comprehensive and it's something that we really have to be proud of in B.C. I do think, you know, one of the things that we did talk about is that we know that youth who have access to proper mental health supports are less likely to vape. And so while this really gets at, um, you know, uh, helping kids understand the health implications if they choose to vape and helping them stop if they do, I think that we also are, are really looking forward to a further rollout of the pathway to hope across schools, uh, and that is the youth mental health supports that we know will also help not only this issue, but other issues that we're facing in our schools.
1: I, I think it's fair to say then that that's something that you're continuing to push for. Is that something that you're, you know, maybe pushing for at a more of a federal level, or, or is that just sort of a general call that you're making to see more mental health supports? I'm just curious sort of what what your stance is there, and sort of who you're targeting as, as who can potentially help that situation.
3: Well, this is something that we've been asking for for many, many years um, across Various governments at the provincial level, and it is you know we do focus this at the provincial level, and we are we were very pleased in June to see the announcement of the Pathway to Hope, and I'm continue to um, be excited about its rollout. That we know that there's five districts that will you know receive be pilot districts in terms of receiving some extra supports. I think two or three have been announced, but in the meantime, we're also sort of uh, waiting for um, a more comprehensive understanding of how what it's going to look like in districts that aren't those five pilot. Districts, so it's it's a it's a great announcement, and I think that the the government is making big strides in this area, and we welcome those resources. Uh, I think that connecting them to this announcement from yesterday is important, and I think it will help our youth in schools with issues bigger than just vaping.
1: Um, what, what uh, from a trustee's perspective, I guess, is next? I mean, not not in terms of regulations or what you guys are doing to lobby, but just in between, like, now and in, in April 1st, if these regulations do come into effect on April 1st, 2020, as was uh, said would happen yesterday as part of this announcement. Um, you know, you're, you guys are obviously, as a trustee's association, celebrating these new regulations that are coming into effect that are targeting teen vaping and youth vaping across the board. But just what what can you guys do between now and then? I'm sure we talked about it the last time you were on, but just what sort of programs are in place? Or, or what steps are being taken from a trustee's perspective between now and uh, April April 1 um, to, to you know, reduce the levels of, of teen vaping, to uh, discourage people from picking up the habit, or, or to put it down if they've already started? What, what work is ongoing in that regard?
3: Well, I think it's sort of a multi-pronged approach. At the advocacy level, I think we continue to focus at the federal level uh, to make sure that they also address the issues that were outlined yesterday by Minister Dix that are, that are within the federal realm. And really, I think it's very important that they really focus on the online aspect of this, which is federally regulated, because you know we can restrict and limit all we want in the province, but if you can go on Amazon or online to jewel and buy these things uh, and they'll get delivered to your door, then, you know, that's a big barrier to us keeping them out of the hands of our youth. So we continue to advocate uh, at the federal level between now and april you know we still have this these issues in our schools and we continue to to deal with the education and enforcement around the issue i know in in my district we just had a uh, presentation from our assistant superintendent of secondary and talked about you know the enforcement of this is almost like a game of whack-a-mole and so really what they're trying to do is focus their energy on the education aspect for kids so letting them know that it's addictive letting them know to recognize the science of addiction helping them through that when that happens and really making kids aware of the health implications so we continue to do that uh, all across the province in the various levels and ways that the school districts are dealing with this and they will continue to do that all the way through till april and i did hear yesterday from minister dix that there's a toolkit that's going to be available and i think that will be very beneficial for us as well in the schools
1: yeah, well, it's definitely not a story that's uh, disappearing anytime soon. It'll be something we continue to follow. So thanks so much for coming on and, and providing your perspective from the School Trustees Association. I, uh, I really enjoy having you on and definitely some good information there for uh, for people to keep in mind. And, and like I said, we'll be continuing to follow how this uh, progresses as as time rolls on. So thanks so much for doing this, Stephanie. I really appreciate you taking the time.
3: Thanks for having me, Jeff. Have a great
1: day. You as well. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks. That was the president of the B.C. School Trustees Association, Stephanie Higginson. Mm-hmm. And uh, for, for uh, people's information, on Tuesday, I will be having a professor from Thompson Rivers University coming on to talk about a presentation that she has put together for high school students here in the Kamloops area. So if you want to know what's being done on a local level in terms of educating youth not to pick up the habit of vaping, well, come uh, come join me on Tuesday morning and we'll have a little bit more on that. But... That's enough on vaping here for this particular show. Coming up after the break, how is the city doing when it comes to road work? Has it been able to complete all of its projects on time? Well, the city's capital projects manager will join me after this.
0: Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. It is Friday, November 15th. We are getting set to the finish line here in Kamloops when it comes to the construction season, and uh, there are many projects where we have seen workers looking to get everything completed before the snow flies. Of course, we did already have one little snowfall there, but that's all melted and gone now, and work is continuing. Of course, the major road project in town has been the Victoria Street West Improvement Project. Paving was set to take place there yesterday, and here to help fill us in on the progress, there is the city's Manager of Capital Projects, Darren Cronwell. Darren, thanks so much for coming on with me. Hey, thanks, Jeff. So let's just start right there when we're looking at the uh, Victoria Street West improvement. How are are things looking there today uh, on Victoria Street?
2: Well, they're they're looking a lot better than they did yesterday. The paving was finished about 4.35 o'clock, and so we're essentially 100% complete on the uh, curb, gutter, and paving part of the project, which is uh, the most impactful to public
1: yeah, so uh, is that, um, the fact that paving was there completed yesterday, I mean, is that all done and good now, do you think, moving forward? Or is there any chance of, uh, you know, some some rework that might need to be done at this point? Or do you have any ideas?
2: No, we were able to. I mean, the uh, we were a little bit worried about the weather and the, the moisture we were getting, but we were able to get the road dry enough. We're We're not expecting any quality issues with the road. Uh, Now it's just finishing some sidewalks on the north side and uh, a few on the south side and then working on uh, undergrounding the power and communications.
1: Is uh, any of that work continuing here in 2019? Is that, uh, you know, is is the majority of the project that has left expected to be completed this construction season?
2: No, we're working through uh, all of the underground work, the power and telecommunications and whatnot. We're actually working through the winter. That'll happen um, all through January, February, March. And probably in March, we'll be pulling the power poles and then filling in the sidewalk where we couldn't because the power poles are there. And then in the spring, finishing up the landscaping and we're done.
1: Okay, so in terms of the, the I guess, uh, what what people are seeing when they drive through there, you know, lots of uh, workers to, uh, on scene, lots of pylons and things like that. Is that kind of the scene that's going to be there throughout the, the course of the winter as well?
2: Yeah, the most most of the uh, the major obviously major impact is, is done, but there still will be single lane uh, or closures along the curb, uh, curb lanes to do sidewalk work and power poles. And if we could just ask the I think the uh, contractor is getting pretty concerned with speeding through there, so if the you know, the public can pay attention to the thirty kilometer hour speed limit there, that'd be appreciated.
1: Um is that going to have much of an impact on traffic like you said there will be single lane closures is that going to happen like really 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 frequently or is that going to be kind of rare to see do you have any idea what that might look like yet
2: yeah in the next few weeks they'll be uh, it'll be pretty frequent as we're pouring sidewalks um but then once we're done that work um it's uh, infrequent when we're pulling the poles um that's the only time we'll have uh, just the curb lane closed uh so bc hydro can pull the overhead poles once we've got everything underground
1: okay and um so once uh, the spring rolls around and uh, you know you're able to start doing some of that landscaping work that is a part of this i believe that's about five percent of the total uh, project cost uh, the total cost of the project was uh, somewhere around 13 million dollars i guess is that sort of uh, well the work that'll be taking place in the spring that's basically all that's going to be left to do once uh, once next construction season sort of starts to begin is that that landscaping work
2: correct yeah just fencing and uh, landscaping work which is really gonna i mean once the power poles are gone and that landscaping's in, then the public's really gonna see the uh the improvement on that
1: project yeah i'm guessing it'll look a lot nicer than it did before uh, definitely I, I hope so i <laughs> <laughs> uh, just want to ask you too in terms of that 13 million dollar price tag has uh, there any been any been changes that have come as a result of this work Has has there been a change in that project cost over the course of uh, the the construction season here
2: no, we're still, we're still in and around that number advertised. I mean, we've had uh, some challenges with uh, the power and whatnot, but we're uh, no major surprises on the budget. Uh, the schedule was the, the, the nice part though we, we were expecting it to take a lot longer.
1: Perfect. I'm here with the uh, the city's manager of uh, capital projects, Darren Cronwell. So uh, that was the, the major project there, I guess, uh, just in terms of anything else on West Victoria Street. Was there anything else that you wanted to make people aware of besides, of course, uh, be being uh, cautious of uh, workers in the area and slowing down? Because you said there is an issue when it comes to speeding. But any other, I guess, big message that you want to give out to the people of Kamloops here that are going to be driving in that area before we move on?
2: Yeah, no, just thanking for their patience. We know this has been, and, and the businesses as well, we know this has been a huge impact, especially on the businesses. You know, anytime you do a major arterial road into the downtown core, it's it, it has impacts, and we replaced everything. But, uh, you know, we're uh, just thankful. You know, patience, and uh, we're just about done.
1: Perfect. Uh, that's definitely good news for those who are traveling throughout uh, West Victoria Street. It's been uh, definitely uh, frustrating at times going through that area, but uh, happy to see it's going to be a lot better once it is all said and done. Uh, let's talk about some other projects here that are taking place in Kamloops as well. Um, one I did want to ask, it's not as probably as significant when it comes to the number of cars and people that it's impacting, but Todd Road out in Barnard Vale, from what I understand, uh, that project was recently completed?
2: Yeah, it was complete. We finished that a few weeks ago. There's still some minor... Uh landscaping items and cleanup work some that we'll have to do in the spring but the road work is 100 percent complete
1: perfect um and, and i know the city of kimloops also says that there was some much needed road work that needed to be done in valley view uh, and that was expected to be done sometime this fall resurfacing of valley view drive between rose hill road and owl road uh improving the intersection through that stretch as well that project started in early august can you tell me what, kind of what the status is of that project right now
2: it is complete as well or everything that we could do this year. We will be back in the spring around the Owl Road intersection. Uh, BC Hydro had some more undergrounding work to do um, so we can't, uh, we can't finish the paving until they're complete. So we've got some carry forward into the spring but for the most part that's done and that, that road was uh, a much needed facelift.
1: So when you can't finish some paving before, uh, you know, before the winter season, I guess, what what happens there? What are the temporary measures that are put in place for drivers who are driving in that area? Just uh, out of curiosity, sort of what are the steps that are taken to make sure, you know, it is a, a smooth surface?
2: Well, we actually did get we didn't have any areas this year that where we had to put down a temporary surface. But if we do run out of uh, time and the weather, you know, an asphalt plant shut down, we will put at um, a cold mix or a temporary road surface down there. We really, really try to avoid leaving a road gravel just because the maintenance in the winter is so difficult. And thankfully, we, we didn't have to do any of that this year.
1: All right. Perfect. And then that project had been on the books, I guess, for some time. It's something the city was was looking to tackle. So uh, happy to see that project get done here uh, in 2019. $1.2 million project uh, was the, the cost of that one. I guess, what are some other uh, major projects that you think the people of Kamloops should be aware of at this time? Is there anything that's sort of here in 2019 that is looking to wrap up soon that maybe you have uh, any concerns about in terms of timing?
2: Nothing in 2019, we've got, uh, you know, we're pretty consistent with our capital program here in Catlinough. It's always around the 40 to $50 million on the planned capital. Uh, one of the big projects we have next year, um, you know, as big of a dollar figure as West Victoria Street and a bigger project, but it won't have as many impacts, uh, but that's the Tronchial Road project. We're going to be replacing the um, main sanitary sewer uh, from 12th Street to Mayfair. So it's over two kilometers, um, but, I mean, there's a lot more access around that road. Road and, and it's a much wider road so there will be impacts but they shouldn't be as bad and we don't have the businesses and, and whatnot fronting it but that's a major project uh, for next year. Uh, Barnhart Vale Road, we've got another section of that. Those are a bigger arterial road projects.
1: Okay, so th- those are you're looking ahead to 2020 um, are those projects that you think would probably take the bulk of the construction season like we saw here on West Victoria that it's basically taken from from start to finish to, to try to get this work done. Is that going to be the same case next year we'll say on Trunk Hill.
2: Yeah, tranquil. Where with the way that we're uh, we're putting these construction projects out to market, you know, going to more of a proposal based system as, as opposed to a tender. Um, I, I I'm not even going to comment on the schedule because we were you know, we were shown that we can do a lot more work uh, this year. You know, with West Victoria Street. So can we get? trunk heel done all next year it's possible Um, we we typically haven't been able to do that much work in a construction season Um, so uh, it may be possible to get done next year all of it next year hopefully
1: Um, And when you're looking ahead to 2020, you mentioned some of the major projects that are ongoing or, sorry, that are uh, set to be uh, um, started next year. I guess, uh, do you have any idea sort of when you're going to be looking or or what the schedule looks like just from a a total standpoint? I mean, is there going to be opportunity for maybe people who who are, uh, you know, concerned about maybe their local road or anything to sort of have a say and let you know that maybe some work needs to be done? uh, Anywhere are you guys pretty much just following a, a, a plan that's already been established in terms of road improvements? I'm just curious sort of what that looks like as you look ahead to the budget here for 2020, Uh, you know, does the public get a chance to have some input on what happens with construction projects or are you guys basically just following a, a renewal plan?
2: I mean we're always definitely always taking public input as far as our roads go um, obviously we do want to hear if the, the public has concerns they can you know call our our uh, civic operations uh, anytime with those concerns our road program though for local roads collector roads arterial roads they're pretty well planned we do we do switch here and there uh, things like BC Hydro when they have a project come in well have, we've had to change a road here and there because of work um, their work and we can't get work done but for the most part we're pretty planned uh, you know we have a five-year plan for all of our local collector and arterial
1: roads right on all right well i think that pretty much wraps up my questioning here darren is there uh, anything else that you wanted to throw on the table while i have you on the line
2: oh I, yeah that, that's about it for the uh the, you know summary of construction projects for this year and next
1: perfect well thanks so much for taking the time i'm sure everyone's happy to hear that uh, west victoria street project is uh, wrapping up pretty soon here uh, obviously it's been something that's been uh, a little bit of a frustration for some people and uh, <laughs> I'm definitely happy to see some some uh, improvements being made there as well. So it's going to be easier to drive and uh, pretty soon it'll be uh, less of a headache to drive it through as well. So thanks so much for doing this, Darren. Really appreciate you taking the time.
2: Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate
1: it. Awesome. That was uh, Darren Cronwell, the manager of Capital Projects here in Kamloops. Uh, Coming up after the break, I'm going to be joined by the executive director of the Kamloops Food Bank here to help break down what some of the numbers look like in terms of those that are accessing the food bank and and just sort of if we've seen any uptake in use over the course of the last year. The uh, Hunger Count 2019 was put out here recently this week. That's the national report on food bank use here in Canada. And I spoke yesterday from a provincial level with the uh, executive director of BC Food Bank. So if you want to check out my conversation there, you can uh, listen to that on uh, RadioNow.com slash podcast or uh, a number of podcast platforms as well. The Jeff Andrea Show is available. So you can check it out there, but we're going to get more of a breakdown on what's happening here locally after the break. So stick around and I'll be joined by Bernadette Sieracki after this.
0: The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk, dot RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show, and thank you for tuning in here on this Friday. I'm joined now by the Executive Director of the Kamloops Food Bank, Bernadette Siraki. Bernadette, how are you doing this Friday?
4: I'm great, Jeff. Thank you. How are
1: you? I'm doing not too bad. Ready for a weekend here. Yes. <laughs> so um, I'm just going to start by asking you here. So uh, I, this is uh, kind of a follow-up to a conversation I had yesterday with the uh, executive director of BC Food Banks. We sort of broke down some of the numbers that we're seeing um, on a monthly basis here from a provincial level, but I wanted to sort of dig into the local numbers here a little bit with you. So let me just start by asking. Um, you know, you put out your 2019 report. Uh, it looks at uh, January through October, I believe. Um, in terms of numbers, is there any significant change in the number of people accessing food banks here in Kamloops and the Kam Moose area?
4: Yeah, um, so you're just referring to our annual report, and we have, um, you know, it's hard to compare the entire year because we're not... Um, we're not finished with um, 2019 yet. But what we are seeing um, at this point and just projecting the numbers into the next two months is that there is going to be a slight increase in, um, in each demographic that we serve. So what we're noting for certain and that we have noticed an increase in since um, 2015 is the number of seniors that access our service. That is um, increasing quite dramatically, actually. We've created a separate time for seniors to access our service. And so what we're noting with that demographic in particular is um, they are on a fixed income. And things aren't going to be changing for them. So we wanted to we wanted to make it easy for them. But we do hear their concerns when they're coming in. Affordable housing, um, the price of food when it increases really affects them um, desperately. I mean, they they are living penny to penny often, and um, with any unexpected increase in cost, um, it pushes things like buying food down the chain for them, just so that they can um, maintain their housing.
1: Yeah, yeah, that uh, seems to be the case for a lot of people right food is almost one of the last things on the list when you're looking to distribute your finances food sometimes takes a back seat um, I was gonna ask I mean in terms that you're saying there, there's looking like it's going to be a, a slight increase of course you're looking at extrapolating numbers as they exist now so it's hard to say for certain but um, are you surprised to see that numbers are increasing I mean this is something that you know a lot of people say they want to help tackle and see less and less people using food banks and yet the numbers seem to be on the rise
4: I know. Um, I guess I don't know if I'm surprised. It's um, it's disappointing. It's 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 disappointing to see that that our lineup is still at the door every day. And so, really, we're on a spectrum of of dealing with food security slash food insecurity. So at the food bank, we are offering emergency food provision while gathering data. And so that's where this information from the hunger count report came from nationally. As all of the food banks across Canada gather data, um, well, we do this. Every time somebody comes in, but we send it through to Food Banks Canada in March, and they collate the data across the country. And so we're looking at um, everything from number of people in the household, number of times they use our service, income source, etc. Um, and what we're noting is the reasons people are using food banks um, are a similar pattern across the country, and it's because many times basic needs um, are very expensive. So things like um, housing food, um, and then we're looking at things like affordable childcare. Sometimes it's um, it uh, doesn't work out for people when they're looking at the actual numbers to go to work or to stay home um, with the kids. It's a really difficult choice for them to make as well. Um, housing, as we know, is incredibly expensive. I think our city and our province is doing a very good job focusing in on affordable housing. We can see that in our city, how that's, um, you know, affordable housing units have been coming up um, Consistently over the past two years, our city has been very agreeable with the service providers and with the agencies in town that operate those. They are, um, you know, giving us tax exemptions and ensuring that the development costs are lower and that we can get the permitting faster. So they're really helping with those things. But the bottom line is, people remain at our door, and why is that? And, you know, we're seeing a lot of folks that um, are on disability, people with um, undiagnosed, perhaps unsupported mental health issues is a big is a big reason as well seniors um, and the children that access our service um, we haven't seen a decrease in children under the age of 18.
1: Yeah and uh, that kind of reflects what's going on in the province as well Uh, more than 80,000 people are accessing food banks on a month to month basis in British Columbia and one in three of those is a child is that sort of this similar stats that you're seeing here in Kamloops is it around the one in three mark here as well?
4: Yeah, we're absolutely seeing that. And I think um, for us, what we're noting informally, and it'll be interesting to see how the numbers unfold, is um, it is much busier downstairs in our client waiting and intake area than it has been um, the last, sort of the last half of this year is much busier. So we're interested to see how, how this unfolds. But our food bank, so we're not solving poverty. I mean, that is the um, commonality of all of our clients as they are living at or below the poverty line. The reasons for that are, um, you know, as varied as the human beings that are coming in our door. But... um, you know, I, I read a sentence one time, and it's so true. Food insecurity isn't about the availability of food; it's about the availability of money to purchase it, <laughs> yeah. right? Or right? Or to even purchase the seeds, or to have the land, or anything else to to grow food. So, um, and plus, growing food is a very different thing than needing food today. So, we at the Kamloops Food Bank, we actually operate the largest food recovery program in Western Canada, and um, we are very proud to be able to offer our client's fresh, healthy product once a week. So our clients are able to come and get bread, produce, dairy, meat, um, cheese, eggs once a week. So that um, is something that we are, uh, we know creates powerful impact in the community when it comes to um, development, especially and maintenance of health, but also development of of children's um, health and their bodies and their brains. So we're really um, doing our part Part in um, providing healthy food to not just our clients. We have 7,000 clients, but we also provide fresh product to 59 community agencies that make meals. So Pit Stop, New Life Community, uh, 10 programs in the school district. Um, yeah, and so we provide that and the food, and they create meals out of it. So Um, We're doing what we can do on the emergency food piece, and I think, you know, our governments are listening um, very carefully to what we need to do to um, minimize that lineup at the door, but it is there.
1: Not a lot of time left here, Bernadette, but I did want to ask this one question because there is some, obviously, you mentioned a number of positives that are happening as well. Um, So there is a bit of a shift, it looks like, from my perspective, if I'm just reading the raw numbers in terms of what people are donating. There's always, when you think of food banks, this uh, focus on canned goods and and non-perishable. But it seems like you had mentioned, you know, a lot more people are donating perishable items as well. So, uh, you know, in 30 seconds, can you just sort of talk about the change in what people are actually giving to food banks and how that's making a difference?
4: Yeah, and what we're distributing. I think with our program, Food Recovery, we distribute more perishable product than non-perishable, but what we need at food banks is really four things to survive. We need money, we need food, we need volunteers, and we need support of our community. And anytime we have the opportunity to, to chat with folks like you or to encourage people to come in and volunteer, um, to create awareness of what we do and who we do it for, it's very important. So um, we need all four things to survive at food banks our clients um, get um, um, a significantly larger amount of food than any other food bank and in the you know while we're doing that well we need to figure out how to stop the need for what we do so Kamloops supports us uh, grateful for that but shining the spotlight on um, the need in our community is very important we need the support of our community to do what we do
1: well, Bernadette, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me. Obviously, some good information to get out there to the public as we head into this holiday season too. I know more people will be considering giving to the food bank. So, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it.
4: Thank you, Jeff.
1: Awesome. That was Bernadette Saraki, the Executive Director of the Kamloops Food Bank. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. So, just uh, one more reminder as we do head into this holiday season, thinking about giving and uh, definitely food is always an issue that people need all times of year, but uh, during the holiday season that does not change. So, Like I said, that wraps things up for me. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you joined me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here Monday morning at 9. Have a fantastic weekend.